This is an ABC podcast. Hey, as a warning, this episode contains some heavy stuff. If you suffer from anxiety, you might find it difficult. And even if you don't, remember you can reach Lifeline 24 hours a day on 13 11 14. And if you do need some extra help, we've also got a bunch of resources in our show notes. People don't talk about it. So when you're feeling that that's happening to you, you feel like a total failure of a person. The worst anxiety I get is social anxiety. I just keep it under the surface. (laughs) Even drinks at the pub. I hadn't experienced anything like that before. It's just a big, frightening black cloud. It permeates every aspect of your life, I guess. Up to one in three women will experience anxiety in their lives. For men, it's one in five. That's according to the Black Dog Institute, which supports people with mental illness. I just wasn't present. My body was there, but I was completely dissociated. So if you think about it, if you're out at lunch with a group of girlfriends, a third of the women around you could be experiencing anxiety, even if they aren't saying anything. Uh, Anxiety takes up a lot of my life. My anxiety comes a lot from, and this is going to sound terrible, but being at home with the kids by myself for a lot of the time. I didn't really have anxiety issues before my cancer diagnosis, but I think it was such a shock. I would come into work, sit on my laptop, open up my emails, see all these emails I get every single day and just sit there and not know how to reply. I stopped working, I stopped exercising, I stopped socialising, I just didn't have it in me to do anything. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about the most common mental health issue in Australia, anxiety. Anxiety is often brushed aside, shrugged off or reduced to a first world problem. I get mad anxiety about washing and like hanging out clothes in general. I worry when as soon as I start hanging out my clothes, I just worry that I'm not going to have enough pegs or that there's not going to be enough clothes space to the point where it's really distressing. It's just my little thing that I'm stressed just thinking about it now. It's really bad. I've got twins, so when they were little, my anxiety with them was someone was going to steal them. So I got my husband to build a six-foot fence at the front of the house. Then I got him to build another fence around the back of the house. It's not a rational fear. I've never been abducted, so I'm not actually sure where it comes from. But for some reason, in my head, way back when, my kids were going to be abducted. A national survey of 15,000 women released this year found that almost 70% were feeling nervous, anxious or on edge. The study was done by the Jean Hales Foundation, a women's health organisation in Australia. It found that almost 50% of women surveyed were diagnosed with either anxiety or depression. We'll call this person Katrina. I uh, struggle to breathe. Sometimes I end up just in tears, which is really hard because I don't want my kids to see me like that, especially now that the eldest is starting to get to that stage where he can understand what's going on. I don't want him to have memories or his first memory to be me, like having a breakdown near the washing line or something like that. So it's just huge, the impact that it has on my life and how it plays out. Like it's every single day and I spend so much time trying to find a way to manage it. It's exhausting. 
And it's time-consuming. It takes up precious mental space that we could be using for other things, like assembling our lady armies to take over the world. This is how clinical psychologist Dr Charlotte Keating describes anxiety. Anxiety is certainly not just feeling stressed or worried. You know, stress and anxiousness are really common responses to, say, situations where we might feel some pressure. You know, those nerves can help us to perform better at times. And they can also perhaps happen or get triggered when we feel threatened by something. And in that way, it can help sort of give us the energy to avoid danger. But usually, once the danger has actually passed, those stressful feelings or anxieties also pass too. But anxiety tends to be a bit of a problem when the anxious feelings don't actually go away, when they're sort of sustained and they hang around. And in this way, you know, anxiety can really sort of get in the way of being able to do the things in in your day-to-day living. Dr Charlotte, most of us have some level of anxiety in our lives to stay safe and, and healthy and normal. How do we know when there's a problem? It's true, Yumi, we all have anxiety. And in fact, anxiety is a really important ally in many ways because it can help us mobilise energy and, and get ready for things that are important for us to do, whether it, it might be that presentation at work. But it's when those feelings of anxiety, those sort of physical symptoms or the worries uh, that we experience become quite unrelenting and quite exhausting, where they might sort of interfere with your sleep and interfere with uh, the way in which you need to get things done in your day and your relationships and things. That's when it might start to sort of um, interfere in a way that suggests it's getting in the way of your life. Anxiety is the most prevalent mental health condition in Australia right now. Why, Charlotte, do you think it's often swept aside as a not serious mental health issue? I think it's because when you are experiencing anxiety, you can still maintain a relatively productive and functional existence. And I think, you know, certainly where women are concerned, they're often not seeking help or they're just being really brave and sort of pushing through and and perhaps not even having that awareness that what they're experiencing is anxiety. And by the time it becomes quite overwhelming or difficult to manage, that's when they might be seeking help. And it's at that point that it, it really is having an impact on your life. But the important thing to note is that if you are experiencing anxiety and you do get some help relatively uh, soon, the chances for recovery are very good. Women consistently suffer from anxiety more than men do. Why is anxiety more prevalent among women? Women are more biologically prone to anxiety than men and a common theory for the greater prevalence of anxiety in women is their fluctuating levels of sex hormones such as estradiol and progesterone. And look, support for oestrogen and progesterone being involved in sex differences in anxiety is because anxiety typically emerges for women at stages of life when these hormone levels are in flux. And this can be at puberty, but also during phases of the reproductive cycle that are marked by reduced hormone levels as well. It's worth noting that these figures could be a bit skewed because women are more likely to actually go to the doctor. Olivia Reams is an expert on the gender anxiety split. She's a PhD researcher from the University of Cambridge and has reviewed the global research into who is most affected by anxiety. She found that women were twice as likely to experience anxiety compared to men. 
aside from hormonal and biological reasons, she found some key social factors. Women are more likely to work in lower paying jobs and jobs that don't offer as much prestige as men. And this can affect their mental health as well. Now, there have been some differences in the ways that women and men cope when they encounter problems. And this can, again, play into how much anxiety they're experiencing. For example, if women encounter stress and challenges in life, they're more likely to ruminate, which means to worry and to obsess about those problems. This can increase your levels of anxiety, whereas men seem to be more likely to engage in problem-focused coping. This means that when they encounter a problem, they're more likely to think about what they can do about it instead of ruminating. Anxiety is often triggered by a specific event in your life, whether that's a health scare, a bad breakup or a new job. For Margot, who lives in regional Tasmania, her anxiety was triggered by a hugely stressful situation in her family. This is how her anxiety plays out. I would be standing in my bedroom, unable to know what the next step was. Like I couldn't figure out, oh, do I have to put my shoes on or do I have to get my jacket? And would then go, oh, my God, how long have I been standing here for? And it was just the thoughts rushing so quickly that I kind of couldn't even take the next step and get out of my room. I went to the doctor and he pretty quickly prescribed medication and no other strategies. So it was basically like, here's some pills and you'll be, you'll be right. I feel very hot just talking about it and a bit uncomfortable. But um, Margot decided to come off her so medication last Christmas. I, guess I, I had way more hang-ups about seeing a psychologist than I did about popping pills to help me. And now I've flipped that um, equation around. And in some ways... Um, I feel like uh, I'm on a boat that's no longer tethered to the, the wharf. Then the medication was sort of that tether that kept me feeling like I was linked to sanity in some way. But I think the coping mechanisms are kind of the sails or the rudder that mean that actually I can steer this. Um, not how I was before this came into my life, but I can still regain control. People often think of anxiety as one mental health condition, but it's actually a group. It includes things like separation anxiety, social phobias, obsessive compulsive disorder, and of course some people have more than one of these at a time. But lots of people are quite good at hiding their anxiety from the world. As psychologist Charlotte says, you can often make it look like everything is fine on the surface, but sometimes you just can't keep it all inside. I get this horrible pain in my stomach and before I know it, I'm running to the bathroom. Five minutes later, I'm back in there. This time it's worse. This is Alana. She's lived with anxiety for a decade and had her first panic attack while on holiday. If you can picture it, she was in New York with her sister. In the meantime, I'm shaking. I'm almost at the point where I think I'm going into a little bit of shock. Before I know it, I'm vomiting. And before I know it, I'm doing both things. And this just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And at this point, I'm really starting to panic. You know, half an hour goes by and it hasn't stopped. And I don't really know what to do because this hasn't ever happened before. 
I felt so weak at this point and lightheaded from the anxiety as well as what was physically happening to my body that we go outside to hail a cab. This is New York in February, it's snowing. I have no shoes on. I was that out of my mind that I just walked out of the apartment that we were staying in with no <laughs> shoes on. And my poor sister had to, you know, direct this driver to the closest hospital while I'm sitting there with a plastic bag, trying not to vomit, trying not to shit myself in this taxi. And we get to the hospital and I'm put on a wheelchair and wheeled in and they don't know what's going on and I don't either because at that point I'd never had a panic attack before. I'd never even really had anxiety. Alana was diagnosed with liver and bowel disease when she was really young and it's closely linked with her anxiety. I was fine one minute and then I just wasn't. So I think for me a lot of my anxiety was born out of those moments of like I don't know how the future is going to look because I keep getting blindsided by these things and that is what freaks me out essentially. I think just not knowing um, and not having any idea what is still to come. And I think that kind of probably took what low-level anxiety I already had and just amplified it. Alana's anxiety means she's constantly worried about being trapped somewhere. She's always checking whether a situation feels safe. The biggest thing is feeling like I can't escape. So being on public transport, a train for example, I know I can't just get off, whereas if I was feeling freaked out or anxious on a bus, I could always hit the stop button or ask the driver to pull over. So anywhere I feel trapped. And I think that probably comes down to um, a control aspect, really, of not being able to leave and get up when I want. And the second I know I can't, it's all I want to do. I asked Charlotte, the psychologist, why she thinks the number of women with anxiety is going up. There is a real impact on women of, you know, social media and technology. There's a lot of imagery and things that we are looking at every single day that will project to us the ideal way that we're meant to look and that perfect bodies are the norm and that we should be aspiring to those. And there's a greater volume than there has ever been um, in our lifetimes of this type of material. I think that's one contribution certainly for, for young people. But I think, you know, the other factors that exist for women are just, you know, for parents and professional mums as well, having to manage the schedules and multiple children and taking them here and there and having work as well and not having enough time for your brain to really just calm down between family and then work. It's sort of everything is just constantly on the go with no downtime or sort of reprieve. We sort of often feel like we can't just take a break or we don't deserve to have that hour of doing nothing. And, and we almost feel guilty about, you know, a lack of productivity when in fact being unproductive is in fact really positive. Are there other factors at play when people have full-on anxiety? For instance, I've got a friend who is hungover six days out of seven and she yeah. complains about her anxiety and I can't help but feel like some of it is probably to do with her drinking. It's true, Yumi. There are, you know, anxiety is not caused or maintained by one particular factor. There is the likelihood that there is some biology involved, that there is some early life experiences that can be involved, family history, those sorts of things. And certainly the current environment that we are in can influence our levels of anxiety. So whether it is not getting enough sleep and your brain doesn't have enough time to sort of wind down and calm down and, and recalibrate, 
um, and then sort of be ready to sort of take on the next day with that um, ability to emotionally regulate the way a, a well-slept brain can. You know, if you have been drinking most nights, that will change the neurochemistry in your brain. It will make an already anxious brain um, perhaps more vulnerable to struggling to recover or struggling to sort of emotionally regulate. I mean, most people will describe on a, on a hangover feeling pretty low. Uh, and if you imagine that sort of sort of perpetuating over a number of, of days, it can make it really difficult to sort of to regulate. Anxiety tends to spike when you go through life events like menopause, which we've talked about on this podcast, or like puberty, pregnancy, childbirth and motherhood. Being a mum can be a particularly anxious time. From my own experience, you give birth and you're suddenly thrust into this role for which you have had no training. And there's all these converging expectations. People expect you to be both good at mothering and to love it. Society does, totally does. Your own family kind of does. And even the tiny baby does in its own bald baby cute way. My partner was taught and shown gently how to do all the parenting stuff but I was just expected to know it and to perform it with some sort of warm pink glow suffusing my mothering, and it felt like it was all on me. Hi, my name is Oli Pitsa. I'm 34 years old, and I started having anxiety after having my first baby. Tell us how your anxiety started. When I gave birth to Noah, first three days, he was okay. We was trying to get him to latch on the bib. He wouldn't latch. I tried everything possible and it wouldn't happen. So we put him on the bottle. And about the fifth day, he started getting those colic attacks. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And some days he would just cry all day sometimes. And then as he grew older, it was just consistent at times. I started to take him to doctors because I didn't know what to do with him. So I was just blaming myself a lot because when I was pregnant with him, I was thinking, yeah, it's going to be an easy baby. My sister had three kids. They were so beautiful. um, They wake up, you feed them, put them to sleep and that's it. Just that's basically as far as I knew kids, um, what they need, etc. So having Noah was a complete different experience to what I've experienced with my sister and I couldn't cope. So every time it, we hit midday, I'll start to panic um, and it builds into anxiety attacks. He was just screaming the whole time. The whole time he would just, and not just screaming, he would tense, he would go red and just his lips would go blue. And as I see that, I just panic more because I'm like, what's happening to mm. him? Um, it just had no time for myself and I'd walk past and I'd see my my reflection in the mirror and I'd be like, oh, is that me? And I just walk back and I look at myself and I start crying, thinking, my goodness, you know, I've changed so much and I have no time for myself, even though I had support, I had my family, my husband, his family, but I just couldn't switch off when they take him away from me. I was never able to actually switch off and say, yep, this is my time now. I'm going to go do something for myself. How has this affected your thinking around having another baby? It did actually affect it. Even now when I were trying now to have another baby and every time I think about having another baby, I just feel very stressed. I panic sometimes. It's always in the back of my head that it could be another Noah. 
If you could go back in time to yourself and tell yourself something, what would you say to that Ollie looking after that Noah? Leave him with your support people, switch off and go to whatever you, you need to do to relax because when you do that, like I find now, I come back a happier mum. You know, I have more strength, I have more power and wanting to be with him and even if he's crying or unsettled, I've got the energy because I've rested, I've looked after myself. So I'd be definitely say switch off, drop him at your support people, turn your back and leave. There's no crime in that. No. Just to reiterate, it's okay to sometimes walk away from the baby. And in this particular story, eventually Noah's constant crying got better and Ollie's panic attacks settled. Charlotte, the psychologist, says 40% of people will have a panic attack at some point in their lives. This is how she suggests we manage them. For many people, it's, it's literally saying, slow down. This will be okay. I feel uncomfortable right now. Where am I right now? Who is next to me? What might I be able to distract myself with? Or how do I just let this pass? And although it will be really uncomfortable, if we just let it pass to the extent that we're able to, sometimes we can find the anxiety that rises physiologically will come down again Mm. when our brain can see that there isn't a threat and that the anxiety we're experiencing isn't us dying or isn't us going crazy, even though it feels very uncomfortable. With anxiety, when do you know that medication is the answer? Well, definitely the research shows that the first line approach is psychological therapy. And certainly there is evidence that, you know, medication can work. It is usually better in combination with psychological therapy as well, rather than on its own. Sometimes if you have symptoms that are very difficult to manage, if you go to your GP, they might um, prescribe you something that can help in the short term. But in the longer term, there are medications called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, for example, that increase the amount of serotonin that is available in the brain in little synaptic clefts between neurons to be, um, you know, sciencey about it. But those medications can help take the edge off some of the anxiety as well. But look, there's different medications depending on perhaps the type of anxiety you might present with and also your age um, because there's different things that work for younger people versus older people. Just on that, when I was really anxious about my my marriage breakup, Getting counselling was way more expensive than getting medication. Medication costs 30 bucks for a month. Psychological yep. help cost $120 a session and that was like 10 years ago. It's really yep. hard. And one of, the, one of my greatest stresses was money. Yep. Yeah. Look, you're exactly right, Yumi. And, and, you know, one of the things that I think um, anybody takes into consideration or or hopefully they take into consideration when they're working out what help they do get is that the help doesn't create more stress than it does alleviating (laughs) stress, right? Yes. So in that context, you do what you can. And there are also services that are lower cost, like, for example, Relationships Australia can sometimes be helpful, you know, as an organisation for people. But I certainly do understand that, you know, when you are really stressed and finances are part of it, that the idea of, you know, having to pay someone to talk to them about your problems can really add to the stress. How do we help friends who are going through anxiety? The best way to help friends who are going through anxiety is to actually ask them 
what will help. You know, for some people, it's just somebody to sit there and listen, to sit with them in those times of discomfort, to not necessarily solve the problems and tell them how to fix it or be able to do those things. It's just to to be with them and, and get through it with them. And we also asked the women we spoke to for this episode about what helps them. Alana, the one who was barefoot in the snow mid-panic attack in New York, she does this thing called diaphragmatic breathing where you breathe deeply into your stomach and engage your diaphragm. You know when people have the paper bag mm-hmm. in front of their Yeah, mouth. in the movies. Yeah. So essentially that's trying to control your breath so you don't hyperventilate. So if you don't have a paper bag handy, you can use your two hands and put them over your mouth and your nose and you breathe in. So it just reduces the amount of oxygen you've got coming in. So you breathe in through your nose. So you're still getting air, but it's not as much oxygen. Yes. So and you're so breathing your more your carbon dioxide back in. Is yes. That the right? And so yeah. you're breathing in through your nose while you do that. And as you do that, your stomach expands. So when you've done your breath in through your nose... And your stomach goes out, you then breathe out through your mouth for four counts, and as you're doing that, your stomach comes back in. And then it's it's a little kind of ace up my sleeve, I guess, that I have. I feel calmer already. The other people we spoke to for this episode also had ideas about what helps with their anxiety. The first thing is that I'm on medication, and I get I get really frustrated when people try to argue that antidepressants and any anxiety medication are overprescribed and unnecessary. I can guarantee that they make a difference to me and probably saved my life. You know, I went off them recently because that's one of the symptoms of the illness is to not want to take your medication. And within three weeks, I was a complete wreck. And within five days of taking them again, I felt alive again and normal. So I've been on and off medication quite a few times. Other than the medication, um, I manage it through getting good sleep, um, looking after myself, so eating eating right, um, doing exercise. I think once you get run down, working a lot, it just makes everything 10 times worse and it comes out like a, like a ton of bricks. Some days I will feel cured and think, I've totally got this, I'm, I'm smashing all my goals and, you know, I've put this thing behind me and then it can rear its little head again and you can start to feel like you're at the top of a really slippery slope. So the things that I'm doing to manage it are so obvious that it seems stupid to say out loud. It's things like eating a lot more vegetables, joining a sporting club. I've also found that being really candid with my network about the impact that it's had on my life has really helped. It's like I'm enlisting them, whether they're willing or not, to be my support network. They're normally pretty willing. And uh, and what you find is that everyone's got a battle. It's frequently common for people to be struggling against their own mental health battles and I find that if I'm open about the fact that it's something that's happening to me, normally they'll be able to say, oh yeah, that's something I'm experiencing or my partner's experiencing. If one in three women are experiencing this, that's going to have a huge economic impact and we really need to address it as a society, otherwise it's a ticking time bomb. Hey, if this episode has raised any issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13114 anytime. 
And if you think maybe you need to talk to someone about your anxiety, a GP is a really good first point of call. In Australia, we also have this thing called a mental health care plan, which entitles you to up to 10 subsidised sessions with a psychologist. ABC Audio Studios also has a bunch of really great podcasts that you might find helpful. There's one called Mindfully, which has a great range of meditations to help you relax and be more mindful in your life. And another one we recommend is a podcast called No Feeling is Final. It's a memoir podcast all about navigating your mental health, and we're huge fans of it here at Ladies. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. And if you have any feedback or thoughts on this episode, our number is 1300 641 or you can send us an email at ladies at abc.net.au. Ladies is mixed by Isabella Tropiano with music production by Martin Peralta and Timothy Jenkins. It's produced by Cassandra Steeth. Supervising producer is Madeline Jenner. Our digital producer is Olivia Willis. And our executive producer, also known as an EP, is Justine Kelly. The series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. 